now this is recording. RTI International Center for Forensic Science presents Just Science. Welcome to Just Science, a podcast for justice professionals and anyone interested in learning more about forensic science, innovative technology, current research, and actionable strategies to improve the criminal justice system. In this special release episode, Just Science sat down with Dr. Jennifer Rainier, a research psychologist and program manager in RTI International's Center for Policing Research and Investigative Science, and Mo McGough, Chief of Staff at the Policing Project at NYU Law and the co-founder of the 30 by 30 Initiative to discuss efforts to recruit more women in policing. Women are vastly underrepresented in the policing profession, accounting for only 12% of the police officers in the United States. Women police can increase legitimacy and trust within communities and also improve department performance. Listen along as Rainier and McGough discuss their research on this issue and the steps organizations are taking to increase women representation in policing on this episode of Just Science. This episode is funded by the NIJ project titled From Research to Reality, Recruiting More Women into the Policing Profession. Here's your host, Peyton Attaway. Hello, and welcome to Just Science. I'm your host, Peyton Attaway, with the Applied Justice Research Division at RTI International. Our topic today is recruiting and retaining more women to the policing profession. Today, we are so excited to speak with Dr. Jen Rainier and Mo McGough. Jen Rainier is an expert in the health, well-being, and performance of employees and organizations. As a program manager and research psychologist in RTI's Center for Policing Research and Investigative Science, she applies her academic and professional experience in industrial and organizational psychology to workplace and workforce surveys, qualitative studies, employee trainings, evaluations, and experimental research in the criminal legal context. She leads an NIJ-funded project titled From Research to Reality, Recruiting More Women into the Policing Profession, which she will discuss later in this episode. Mo McGough is a lawyer by training and has many years of professional experience at the federal level, leading initiatives to advance evidence-based policing, improve the representation of women in policing, and implement systems-level criminal justice reform initiatives. She's the co-founder of the 30 by 30 initiative, which is a national effort aimed to increase the proportion of police recruits who are women to 30% by the year 2030. Welcome to the podcast, Jen and Mo. Thanks so much for having us, Peyton. Yeah, I appreciate being included. Thank you. To kick us off, Jen, could you provide us with some background on what led you to focus on this issue of recruiting and retaining women to the policing field? Absolutely. So my background is in industrial and organizational psychology, which means that I study various workplace and workforce issues. And in particular, my specialty area is both occupational stress and health and also diversity and inclusion um, in a variety of settings. And before I came to RTI in my previous but not so long ago life, I focused on a few aspects of diversity, including gender and age. So part of what my research looks at is how can we make, you know, the work experience optimal for all sorts of people in all sorts of environments. One of the experiences that was most valuable to me was when I worked at Catalyst, which is a nonprofit that uh, provides research and consulting services 
to organizations looking to improve opportunities for women in business. And part of what I did there was career pathways research, which really sort of uncovered a lot of the myths about why women have a hard time getting ahead in certain fields. You know, some of the things that people talk about are sometimes women are more family oriented or women don't want the same kinds of jobs as men. And there are sort of all these reasons out there for why you know, women don't necessarily advance, particularly in certain fields. And some of the research that I did there looked at high potential women who were in the same fields as men, who had the same aspirations and had the same skills and abilities and really kind of uncovered, you know, no, there really are systemic issues here that are holding women back. It's not just about these differences that people talk about between men and women. So I've always been, you know, interested in using my research skills for social justice issues. And, you know, policing is obviously such an important issue, always has been, but particularly in America today. And I'm just really happy to be collaborating with colleagues and other practitioners in the field to apply these skills and interest to the policing field. And Mo, I would like to pose the same question to you. Could you provide us with some background on what led you to focus on this issue of recruiting and retaining women in policing and what led you to create the 30 by 30 initiative? So back in 2018, I was working as a senior policy advisor at the National Institute of Justice at the U.S. Department of Justice. And I was really lucky in that I was working with a cohort of police practitioners who were mid-career folks who were really focused on advancing evidence-based policing and using data and science to improve police services for communities across the country. Through that work, I met uh, then-captain of the Newark Police Department, Yvonne Roman. And in her very sort of New Jersey way, she came into my office one day and said, you know, you seem to care about what data and science has mattered for policing, but There's research out there that shows that women only make up 12% of sworn officers and 3% of police leaders. And those numbers have been stagnant for decades and no one seems to be doing anything about it. Where's the DOJ on this? And it was a point that was extremely well taken. So Yvonne and I joined forces in 2018 to host a national summit on women in policing. And through that summit, we were hoping to understand, you know, what are the barriers to women entering and staying in the field and succeeding? And what is the unique promise of women officers? One of the things that blew me away in preparing for that summit and in hearing researchers speak about women in policing was the fact that the underrepresentation of women in policing isn't just a gender parity issue, though it's critically important for that reason, but it's also a public safety issue. There is a host of social science research out there, and it seems to be growing by the month, that indicates there is a very unique value to women officers. So they use less force and excessive force. They are perceived as more trustworthy, particularly by diverse communities and more honest. They tend to get better outcomes for crime victims, especially victims of sexual assault. They're named proportionately less in lawsuits and citizen complaints. And there's emerging research that shows they use their discretion to make low-level arrests and stops less often. When they do make stops, they are more likely to find contraband. So, you know, if you think about it, if there was a training out there that any police department could implement that promised those types of outcomes, I think every police department in the country would be scrambling to implement that training. But it really is just about valuing women officers and and what they bring to the department. So Yvonne and I have spent the last three years working with this really sort of grassroots team of police practitioners and leaders, researchers, policymakers to launch the 30 by 30 initiative with the goal of improving the representation of women in police recruit classes to 30% by the year 2030, reforming policing policies, assessments, and strategies to ensure they are free of inherent bias that might disproportionately impact women and other underrepresented demographic groups, 
and also ensuring that police culture is one where women and other underrepresented groups can not just survive, but thrive. And that's what we're hoping to do. Wow, that's amazing, Mo. Thank you so much for sharing that. Jen, perhaps we could have you start by framing the problem of recruiting and retention in the policing field and the benefits of increasing the representation of women in the field. Yeah, so I think, you know, Mo did a great job of describing some of those benefits, and those are some of the ones that have stood out to me in the research as well, right? Like when we think about what's needed for policing, particularly today in terms of rebuilding trust, building relationships with communities, and just addressing the wide variety of issues that the police are are tasked with addressing every day, it's helpful to have people who have a wide array of skills, including, you know, some of the ones that Mo mentioned in terms of, you know, relationship building, communications, de-escalation. These are qualities that tend to be associated with women and they really are needed, I think, to, to rebuild policing in America and to help police and civilians have better relationships. You know, in terms of the challenges, I mean, they are numerous, right? So it's a big issue that we're tackling here, but I think a lot of progress really has been made in the last couple of years. To frame the problem, it's it's hard to recruit anyone into policing today, right? A lot of agencies have open positions that they simply can't fill. They're not getting enough applicants, period, let alone enough diverse applicants. And it's hard because we're talking about wanting to have better selection processes that are more stringent and that, that, you know, bring in the best people, but it's tough given the current climate. And I think, you know, it's even more complex when we think about intersectionality. So part of what, what we did for our project, which I'll talk about later, was, you know, we had focus groups with over 70 women in law enforcement, and particularly Black women in law enforcement, women of color, were saying it's particularly hard for us to recruit women of color because there is that lack of trust between police and then and the communities that a lot of those women come from. And it's an additional issue to consider. So there are a lot of barriers. As Mo mentioned, there needs to be a culture that supports the women once they're in those positions. You know, if they manage to have an interest in policing and apply, what does it look like when they get there? And part of it is that because there are so few women in policing overall, there's a lack of role models. And, you know, that's one of the things that we know from research overall across fields is that people tend to enter fields where they have relatable role models and they see somebody that looks like them and they have reason to believe I can do it too, because I see people who look like me who are able to do this. You know, there's also a huge barrier of the way that policing has traditionally looked and the ability to raise a family. I mean, in any profession, it's hard to be working and raising a family at the same time. Traditionally, policing has had a a lack of flexibility. The schedules are inherently difficult, rather, with shift work and things like that. So a lot of agencies, I think, are, are looking at how they can change those policies to better support people in managing their work and non-work demands. But, you know, there are just a lot of, there are a lot of barriers. And I think the positive aspect, though, of what's going on right now in the country around the conversations around what policing is and what America wants policing to look like is that it is starting to draw different kinds of people to the field, including more women, right? So in those focus groups that we held through our project, we heard people saying, there are more people who have a background in social work who are now interested in applying those those skills to policing, people who had a former career in teaching. So I think that there are a lot of people who want to be part of the solution to make policing look different. And so that's one of the awesome opportunities I think that we have today is figuring out who are those people who might be able to apply these skills and abilities that are needed for policing today and how can we reach them to really draw them into the field. 
Thanks, Jen. I know from several other studies that we've conducted at RTI that there is a lot of law enforcement who feel like their duties are more aligned with what people would traditionally assume are roles of social workers. And some really like that aspect and some really don't because in a way it's not the job they signed up for, but in some ways it is because they're both aimed at, you know, improving the community's safety and well-being. Mo, what are you hearing from your 30 by 30 agencies and others in law enforcement about the challenges they face in recruiting women into policing? So I think Jen did a really nice job of, of sort of providing an overview of the, the dynamics that we're seeing about recruitment generally. When it comes to women in policing, it just comes down to you can't be what you can't see. And a lot of the recruitment material, when you start to look at it really specifically, it tends to be very male dominated and not just male dominated. It also tends to celebrate traditionally masculine aspects of policing that we know from research actually doesn't represent the vast majority of how police spend their time. One of my favorite stories from that summit in 2018, when we started talking about recruitment, was someone shared a story of a recruitment video they'd seen from a very small agency. They had less than 10 officers. They barely had uh, any aviation assets, but their recruitment video was someone hanging out of a helicopter with a giant gun strapped to their chest. And you just sort of wonder, what is it that you're trying to bring into your department if that's what you're celebrating? And interestingly enough, in 30 by 30, we, of course, advocate for broad representation and recruitment materials, but we don't traditionally try to focus on targeting women in recruitment. Instead, what we do is try and support agencies in getting more accurate about what the job of policing actually is and getting more accurate about the skills and abilities necessary to do the job well. And we're really confident that if agencies start doing that, they will naturally see an increase in the representation of women. We're also helping them to think a little bit differently about the types of populations that they target. I think it's really fantastic that we've already mentioned Social workers, you know, a lot of times traditionally, if you're doing a, a college recruitment event, for example, you focus almost exclusively on criminal justice majors, and that makes sense. But what about your nurses and your social work folks and your psychology majors? They all bring very specific skills that are demonstrated to be valuable for police, and we should be recruiting from those cohorts as well. And it just so happens that those cohorts traditionally have had a very high representation of women. I would love to add one more point to that too. We're pretty early in 30 by 30, and we've just started reporting uh, in six-month intervals. But Anecdotally, we have seen some agencies reporting a really significant increase in the representation of women in the recruit classes that they've had since joining 30 by 30. And we suspect that part of that is being intentional and being vocal about the value of women and prioritizing the value of women at the leadership level. So we have a department, it's in a very small jurisdiction. Uh, they don't have all that many officers. They were bringing in seven officers for the recruit class, and four of them were women. And it was simply a result of changing how they approached recruiting and having the chief be a huge advocate for 30 by 30 and very outspoken about the importance of women in the profession. Jen, is there anything that you would like to add? So I just wanted to highlight what Mo said about how 30 by 30 is encouraging agencies to really be accurate about the job in, in their portrayals. I can't emphasize that enough because that's what 
we know from the research, right, and not just in policing, but in all occupations, that a realistic preview of the job is like the singular factor that leads to people being happy once they get on the job, people being successful when they get on the job, you know, people being committed to their job and feeling like they can be successful. It is such a simple concept, but often it's not the case. And I mean, we've all experienced this. When you start a new job, you can never know entirely exactly what it's going to look like once you start. But we've all had experiences where you get into it and you're like, yeah, this is this is aligned with how this was advertised to me. Like, you know, I didn't know all the details, but this seems about right. And other experiences where you're like, what on earth? Like, this is nothing but to what I expected. It's so important. And so one of the things I wanted to emphasize, right, is in terms of thinking about what kinds of messages agencies are putting out there. I love Mo's example about the recruitment materials with somebody hanging out of a helicopter with a gun as that being the message that they're putting forth, probably not the best, you know, for recruiting the kinds of people that they want and that will be successful in policing. I think the flip side of that is that I want to make sure that agencies are kind of cautious in their efforts to bring on more diverse folks, that they're not portraying their agencies in a way that's not genuine, right? And we heard in, in some of our focus groups, there's one Asian person, there are three women in our agency, there's one Black person, and that's the group of people that's on every flyer and in every video. And yes, it helps bring people to the door, but then those people start the job they look around, it's a sea of white men, and they're like, where are those people? It's kind of a false representation. So one of the things that I want to emphasize is I think agencies should have materials that reflect that desire to bring in more diverse candidates, but just to be honest about that, because people are going to figure it out sooner rather than later. And I think that should be the message, right? Like we are working on diversity. Our goal, you know, especially for agencies who are tied into 30 by 30 or have other similar goals, we are working to meet this goal. This is important to us. And then have the materials reflect that. I think that's a lot more likely to be successful, not only in drawing people in, but then in having them, you know, be successful and supported once they get there, because it's not going to be a surprise. They're not going to feel like they were kind of tricked in terms of the messaging that was shown to them. It's really important that agencies think about what does the work really look like in our agency? What are the different kinds of tasks that, that people really do, you know, engage in on a daily basis? And what does our agency look like? That's a great point, Jen. I think that the genuine representation is going to bring in genuine recruits. And that's exactly what you guys are aiming to do. As you guys are talking about all of these things, it's just bringing to mind the fact that the policing field is changing so much and so rapidly and evolving in so many positive ways, as it should be, given all the things that have happened over the past few years. And so it just makes sense that the recruitment materials would follow this trend. On that note, Jen, what can you tell us about the kinds of research that you and your colleagues have conducted on recruiting women in policing? Thanks for the question, Peyton. Um, we're right in the middle of this project right now, and it's a multi-phase project that I'm really excited about. And it really strives to produce concrete materials and guidance that agencies can use to address some of those barriers that have been shown in the research to prohibit women from joining the field. The whole area really is in need of continued research, but I think, you know, more is known about what some of these major barriers are. You know, that was uncovered in the summit a couple of years ago. There are, there's research where, you know, focus groups have been conducted with women officers asking them what the major challenges have been. So to some extent, you know, we know what these things are, but then figuring out how to address them is a different story. I know Mo and I have talked about this extensively. It's important to not only think about recruitment, but retention as well. Our current project is more focused on 
the recruitment piece in terms of identifying those strategies that bring women to the door. But part of that is that we're encouraging agencies to update policies and practices and sort of cultural aspects of the work environment that will be you know, more inclusive of women and help them draw them into the field. So the first phase that we did was more of a summary of kind of the current state of women in policing. So we had two components to that. One was that we did a comprehensive analysis of 20 something agencies recruiting materials. And we looked at their online presence in terms of what's on their main websites, their recruiting websites, and then their social media sites. And what we did is we coded all these elements that they were presenting in terms of the text, videos, images. We looked at the diversity represented there. We looked at how they describe policing in general. What kind of strategies do they talk about using in policing? Is it more community oriented? Is it sort of the more traditional um, or more macho militaristic kind of style of policing? How do they message about the jobs and careers? What aspects are they emphasizing? And we also looked at how they message about diversity. Part of what we were looking at there was, you know, are there major differences in agencies that have relatively more or less women? We didn't find consistent differences in how policing was described per se or how the job and career was described, but we did find major differences in terms of how they were messaging uh, women-specific content. So the agencies that have more women were more likely to have profiles of women officers kind of highlighting their achievements and, and talking about, you know, their experiences, advertising women-specific recruiting events, as Mo was saying earlier, talking about the value that women specifically bring to the field. So at least in this sort of pilot study, looking at this smallish set of agencies, it looked like that was kind of the really key factor was not necessarily how those other aspects were described, but just kind of putting out there that effort to highlight women that signals that, you know, women are important to our agency and we want more women to be here. We also conducted focus groups with women officers. So we talked to over 70 women in law enforcement. So RTI International is conducting this research in collaboration with the National Police Foundation. And we worked with some really great partners on that. So we worked with uh, NALI, which is the National Association of Women in Law Enforcement Executives, NOBLE, the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives, and then IAWP, the International Association of Women Police, to really make sure that we were capturing a diverse perspective. So we talked about some of the barriers that they've faced in their careers, how they've seen some of that change. We also got some specific recommendations from them on what they think agencies need to do to recruit more women. And now we're in the process of doing an online experiment with hundreds of individuals, both students and a general population sample to test out some materials. So basically we are taking some best practices from the research, what we learned in phase one, and we created mock materials. So Facebook ads, videos, um, different advertisements, and we're looking at how varying those images and messages affect people's perceptions of this mock agency and their interest in applying. So we're really getting some detailed information about how these different materials land. And that's, I think, one of the things that's been lacking in the, in the previous research so far is a lack of experimental design in the research. And then kind of really understanding the impact of these different materials. I know, for example, you know, there was a study that coded, you know, hundreds of police recruiting videos and it kind of described here are the elements that tend to be present in these kinds of videos. This is what they look like. 
but it didn't take the step of then seeing how do people react to these videos? How does it affect perceptions and people's intentions to engage with an agency? And that's the gap that our study aims to fill. And then the final uh, phase of the study is going to be a field component where we're going to be working with two agencies in North Carolina to actually implement some of these changes. So we're going to be um, working with them to make some updates to their website to actually uh, distribute in an experimental design um, some of these different flyers um, to create different advertisements. And we're going to see kind of how those affect people's engagement with the website, their applications, and who they get to apply to the agency. So we'll be looking at some pre and post and experimental outcomes on how these different strategies actually affect agencies in real life. You know, sometimes research can feel a little bit siloed. People kind of take ownership over things. And I don't feel that with this project at all. And with this work in general, it feels like everyone's really joining forces to kind of build on the great work that one another is doing. And that's, that's one of the things that I really appreciate about this work. So shout out to all of our partners. Oh my gosh, Jen. So, you know, what's really exciting about everything that you just said, and I didn't realize it really until this moment is that all of the partners that you named are also critical partners in 30 by 30. And it does sort of feel like there is this moment at this particular time in American history where people are really coalescing around the issue. You know, Nolly in particular, Kim Craven, the Nolly executive director is one of our hugest advocates for this work. She promotes it every chance she gets. And even just working with you and RTI and, and the fact that researchers are acknowledging the dearth of information we have about how to actually do this well and are stepping in to fill the void and, and the field is indicating they're ready for it, right? There, there's a huge appetite for evidence-based practices in this area. So the fact that police professional organizations and the field itself and researchers and policymakers are all coming together at this particular moment in time, it's really exciting. And I don't, I don't really recall anything quite like it. So I'm really excited to see where it goes. I'm really grateful for your partnership. Mo, I know the retention is a major issue in the field of policing in general right now. Can you speak to how agencies can ensure that they're creating an environment that's conducive to retaining women? It's such an important part of the equation and just a hearty plus one to what Jen mentioned uh, just a second ago about the fact that you can't really address recruitment without also addressing retention. And when you look at some of the historical efforts to improve the representation of women in policing around things like consent decrees, for example, those efforts didn't really make a lasting impact, I think in part because they almost solely focused on recruitment. And if you're not addressing the sort of underlying cultural aspects or overt policies that tend to be failing folks that aren't white and male, then you're not going to have people actually stick around and make all that much of a difference. So uh, addressing retention is huge. This is an area where there's actually very little research. And one of the things that's been very sobering about doing this work in the US is we've had a fair number of partnerships with some agencies abroad. And they're really able to articulate very clearly at what point they lose women, why they lose women, and what they're able to do to mitigate that loss moving forward. We don't have the same insight into our agencies. So that's why part of what the 30 by 30 initiative aims to do for participating agencies is really help them understand what are the types of data that you could and should collect throughout the life cycle of a woman officer's career to understand the extent to which your agency is adequately addressing her unique needs. So parental responsibilities, child, family care, that's obviously a huge part of it. We still live in a society where those burdens tend to disproportionately fall to women. And policing is notoriously a, a profession that doesn't adequately provide support to mitigate some of those increased responsibilities that women have. There are some promising practices out there, things like part-time shift sharing for nursing mothers or any mothers who are returning to the workplace. 
speaking of nursing mothers, one of the things that we heard at the summit that I think has stuck with a lot of us who are doing this work is that a nursing mother returning to the workplace in most agencies does not have a safe, private, sanitary place to pump. So that's one of the initial actions of 30 by 30 agencies who are participating in this work. We ask that they prioritize finding such a place. Most women were sharing stories of either pumping in their cruiser in an alley or in a public bathroom somewhere. And obviously that's not a good signal to women officers that their unique needs are understood or met. Another area where you see women's sort of basic needs just not being met is around things like uniform and equipment. They tend to be sort of default built to a man's specifications. So making sure that things like firearms, holsters, even uniform pants are designed specifically for a woman's proportion is a great step to take. And then also Jen mentioned the importance of focus groups. That's something that we're really pushing, understanding, you know, how does your agency culture impact the women you currently have? How can you improve the way that you serve the people you currently have on the force in order to attract new women in the door and keep them there? One area where we're particularly interested in addressing the pledge as well is around harassment. So there is research out there that shows that over 93% of women officers experience some kind of harassment at some point in their careers. So it's incumbent on agencies to have policies in, in place that take that very seriously and adequately protect women who experience it. We recently did a survey that was voluntary for 30 by 30 participating agencies, and we got over 800 responses. And regardless of how well an agency performed on other aspects of that survey, almost to a one, the response rates around how an agency handles harassment were, were pretty negative. So that is something turning to the new year, we really want to sort of focus in on lessons learned from other industries that might be applicable to policing. We don't have to reinvent the wheel here. You know, policing is a microcosm of larger society. This is obviously something that is a priority and that a lot of other fields have faced and I think come through much more successfully than policing has at this point. So our hope is to pull lessons learned from those other industries and, and try and have an impact on policing overall. I wanted to jump in about uh, something that Mo said. Well, so the, I was thinking about returning mothers, and that was one of the things that stood out to me from our focus groups too. Is just these horrific stories of like somebody being on a ten-minute break, you know, for lunch, trying to hide in their locker and like shove a sandwich down their face and pump at the same time. Like it's honestly, in some ways, a miracle that any woman in policing gets through that phase of returning to work because people go to some great lengths to make that work. I agree with you that. That's a great priority for the 30 by 30 agencies and for any agency out there. There are in some ways some relatively simple and straightforward accommodations that can be made to make women's lives a lot easier. And, you know, one other note that I just wanted to make about the issue of support for working parents. Some of the newer research is showing that these aren't just things that women want. In terms of paid leave, in terms of support for childcare, like these are things that prohibit a lot of men from joining the field as well. Like things have changed from generations ago. And in many cases, men want to be more engaged in childcare and in family life. And so this is one of the things that that I love about being in this research space and doing this work is that we're not just asking for things that are good for women. We're asking for things that are good for people. And I think when it comes to work family balance, like this is something that will help bring everyone, you know, to the field, not just women. Just a hearty amen to that. Jen, that is such a powerful statement that you just want to make it better for people. I think a lot of times people can get prickly um, about certain diversity and inclusion efforts because they think that these changes are only for these certain groups when really all these efforts are to make it better for everyone and make communities safer and rebuild that trust between the community and the police that has been deteriorating over the past couple of years. Absolutely. 
Jen and Mo, is there anything else that you'd like the audience to know regarding the recruitment of women into policing? One thing I like to mention when when we start exploring these issues is the role of men. I think a lot of times when you talk about issues of gender parity or the importance of gender diversity, people tend to think, oh, this is a women's issue. And I think that manifests at things like conferences when we go out and speak about this at places like the International Association of Chiefs of Police. You look around the room and it's fairly full, which is very exciting, but almost everyone in the room is a woman. And when we're talking about changing these systems and structures, you know, women aren't the ones who built the systems that we're currently trying to change. And women aren't the ones who currently hold most of that power, right? 97% of police chiefs in this country are men. So just the importance of men in the discussion and the importance of men coming to the table with sort of an open mind and an advocate's heart and really prioritizing this, not just for gender parity's sake, but for sake of improved public safety outcomes. I think that's that's really important and it's probably worth mentioning. That's a great point. And you know, one of the things that we heard in our focus groups along those lines you know, these are women who have been successful in policing sometimes over a long career. And oftentimes, one of the critical factors was having a supportive mentor. And in many cases, that was a supportive mentor who was, you know, a higher ranking person who was a man, right? Someone who really took them on, believed in them, mentored them the same way that they would mentor a man, you know, gave them all the same kind of guidance. And I agree, this can't just be a women's issue because, you know, the folks in power need to be engaged in it as well. So that's a fantastic point. I think one of the things that I want to emphasize is just that sometimes there's a misperception that in efforts like this to increase the representation of women or racial minorities, you know, in policing or other fields that, you know, we're trying to make exceptions and do special things to bring these groups in, right? That like the status quo is good, but, you know, women haven't been able to cut it or other groups haven't been able to cut it. So what can we do to make it work for them? That is not at all what the situation is based on a huge body of research. And I think the thing that people don't realize is that the status quo in most fields in terms of the language that's used in job descriptions, the images that are used, the way that you know various aspects of jobs are portrayed, they are biased toward white men. A lot of times when you look at job descriptions, and this is part of the research I used to do at Catalyst in terms of making recommendations for companies, it's really kind of you know, dissecting and picking apart what is it that you are messaging in in your materials. And a lot of times you would see these very masculine types of words in terms of like almost not, not aggressive language, but well, yeah, sometimes aggressive language or these characteristics that are associated with men. And the key is that they were words or concepts that were not directly tied to the job. It's not that those were the things that were needed for the job. It's just that that's the kind of language that companies were used to using and often not doing it intentionally. I don't think most of the time people write a job description or create a recruiting website in policing or otherwise, where they say, let's make this just for white men, let's leave everybody out. I don't, I don't think most of the time that's what people are doing. But when you really take a closer look at things, you see that there really is an inherent bias toward the way things have historically been done, which does advantage white men. So really what we're pushing for is just a leveling of the playing field, looking at a more accurate description of the job, as Mo said, really looking at what are the competencies that are needed. And we know from the research that a lot of the competencies that are needed in policing are ones that are typically typically associated with women. So how do we get that message out there? How do we bring those people in? And how do we support them once they're in the field? Because I really think that policing won't change the way that the country needs it to until we have more women involved. 
Oh my gosh, Jen, I am so glad you brought that up. That is such an important part. I'm like jumping out of my chair over here. Um, so we have had overwhelmingly positive responses to what it is that we're trying to achieve by 30 through 30 by 30. But to the extent that we've gotten pushback, it is the misperception that by trying to improve the representation of women in policing, we're trying to decrease the standards of what it takes to be a police officer. This false assumption that women aren't joining the profession because they can't hack it. And leveling the playing field and making it more accurate is all we are trying to do. And I think it's such an important point to keep at the forefront of our minds anytime we're doing any type of diversity initiative. It's, it's not about lowering the standards. It's about changing the standards so that they accurately reflect what's necessary to do the job well. And I think as long as we sort of orient ourselves towards that North Star, we're going to just see more and more support for these types of initiatives over time. Absolutely. Other thing is too, if this is something that people are interested in learning more about, there's also this really powerful documentary called Women in Blue that sort of chronicles the efforts of women in the Minneapolis Police Department to drive reform. So if folks wanted to check that out as well, they're, they're a 30 by 30 partner, but it's a good other place to go if people want a, a firsthand account of what it's like. Well, that's all that we have time for today. Jen and Mo, I have felt so inspired today talking to you guys as a woman and honestly just as a person getting to hear all of the amazing work that you guys are doing to improve the representation of women in policing and ultimately make our community safer and restore trust in communities with the police that have been again deteriorating over so many years. Thank you so much for your time today and for sitting down with Just Science to discuss women in policing. Thank you both. Thank you Peyton. Thank you for having us. I'd also like to thank you the listener for tuning in today. If you enjoyed today's conversation, be sure to like and follow Just Science on your podcast platform of choice. For more information on today's topic and resources in the field, visit recruitwomenpolice.org or the 30 by 30 initiative at 30x30initiative.org. I am Peyton Attaway, and this has been another episode of Just Science. In our next season, Just Science talks to a range of specialists about the topic of at-home sexual assault kits. Opinions or points of views expressed in this podcast represent a consensus of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official position or policies of its funding.